Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Verse 13, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. But one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Verse 13 again. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting, forgetting, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I want to preach tonight with the help of, your whole, of the Holy Spirit and your prayers from this topic, the duplicity of forgetfulness. Would that work? The duplicity. Yeah, the duplicity. So when folk ask you what pastor preach New Year's Eve, you'll say the duplicity of forgetfulness. Amen. I like that. My son told me the other night, he got saved, he's been saved about a year now. He's so excited about being a Christian. He's 36 years old, loves the Lord, and just all fired up. And he calls me every week, and we talk about church. And he was just talking uh, about um, the sermon, and I was just sharing with him the importance of of, of taking that ancient story. It's an ancient story, and we've heard it, you know, so many times, but there's something about words that adds freshness and life to an ancient story and kind of holds our attention. So I want to talk about the duplicity of forgetfulness. The word duplicity comes from, of course, the word dual, which means double or twofold. So it is then when we take an in-depth look at Paul's words in verse 13 of the text, we find a two-way street upon which Paul's words concerning forgetting are traveling. That's where the duplicity comes in. There's a, it's a two-way street upon which his words are traveling. But before we go there, it is necessary that we define the word forgetting as it is used in the text, when Paul uses the word forgetting in the text in verse 13, it's helpful for us to understand that he's not talking about he has the ability to delete things from his memory like we push the delete button on our computer and it's gone. He's not talking about deleting certain thoughts or ideas from his mind, he's not talking about the ability to remove uh, from his memory banks the uh, memories of past events. He's not talking about when that when he says forgetting. But what he's saying is that, that, that I have decided. I have made a conscious choice. That's what he's talking about when he says Forgetting, he says, I have decided, I have made a conscious choice not to allow my past all right, all right. to hinder me, to hamper me, or even to halt my productivity as I move forward 
in the future. Are you following me? What he's saying that he's not saying I can I can somehow or another magically erase from my mind the stuff that has gone on. I can I can I can delete it from the hard drive of my of my cognitive domain, the hard drive of my mentality, the hard drive of my thought processes. He says, but I do have the power not allowed to allow my past to hinder, hamper, or even halt my productivity. Paul says, I'm at the point in my walk with God, in my fellowship with Jesus, in my communion with Christ, where I'm able to let bygones be bygones. I'm at the point in my life now, in my walk with God, that, that I, I'm at the point where I don't cry over spilled milk anymore. Well, I don't lose sleep over water that has already gone under the bridge. That's what he's saying. I'm, I'm at that point now that that, that means that I, I forget because I'm controlling that thing now. I'm not li- allowing it to control me. Are you with me? You see, Paul's words remind us that it is in our best interest to make a conscious decision to put the events of 2014 behind us. That's what the text is teaching. It's in our best interest to to do that. In other words, it's in our best interest not to drag stuff from 2014 into 2015. What Paul is saying is it behooves each of us at this present moment, at this night, at this hour, to determine that we will not allow ourselves to be wrapped around the axle of the past or tied to the hitching post of what used to be. That's what he's saying. He's saying, now, 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 you need to make up your mind now in 2014 that you will not be wrapped around the axle of the past or tied to the hitching post of what used to be. Rather, the experience, whether the experience were good a bad Paul admonishes us to let them go and press on towards what God has in store for us individually as well as a church family in 2015. Now, the truth of the matter is God's blessings will not impact us, will not empower us, will not infiltrate us to the deepest level if we are constantly looking back. Now, most of us here tonight, as I look out over the audience and I survey who's here tonight, I feel confident in saying that most of us here tonight have never plowed a mule. (laughs) Although some of us have. But most of us have not plowed a mule. Some of us, some of us have. Some here tonight have. But although I have not plowed a mule, I've studied enough and I've seen enough pictures of plowing fields to know that you will never, ever plow a straight line while looking back. Am I right about it? Well, using the imagery of plowing, Jesus says in Luke 9.62, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit 
for the kingdom. The point Jesus making is clear. Those of us who are fit for kingdom work must be future focused. Those of us who are fit for kingdom work must be future focused. Those of us who are fit for kingdom work in 2015 must be future focused. Good hope we must be future focused. Putting the past behind and pressing towards God will be in our best interest. In the future. So it is in the text. Paul makes it plain that he's forgetting the past. Can't speak for anybody else. I don't have power to make anybody else. But as for me, I am, Paul says, forgetting the past. He, he makes it plain that he's putting the past behind. Yet when we examine Paul's past, we find a dynamic duplicity. A two-way street, a double-edged sword. Now, and I want you to walk with me a little bit. I want you to think through this thing a little bit because, because for years I read this text and I missed it. Even while I was in seminary, even in graduate school, I read this text, I heard this text, and I missed it. I didn't see the duplicity. So here we go. First, on the one hand, Paul had many successes, many accomplishments, many things in his life that he was pleased with. Like us, we have many things in life that we are pleased with. We have many accomplishments that we are pleased with. Some of us are pleased with our military accomplishments. Some of us have academic accomplishments. Some of us are pleased with our family accomplishments. We have many things that we are pleased with. Yet while his successes, his accomplishments and things that please him held a significant place in his life, he decided not to rest on past laurels. That's what it means. He decided, Paul decided that that he was not going to rest on past laurels. He made a conscious choice not to allow the vast accomplishments of his past to stagnate his walk with Jesus or stalemate his spiritual climb. The biblical record reveals Paul had some pretty powerful stuff on his resume. His resume would have impressed the most conscientious human resource personnel. Notice in verse 5, he was circumcised on the eighth day. I mean, that's what they did with Jewish, but they circumcised him on the on the eighth day. Gentiles were not circumcised, but he made it clear that I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm pleased with that, that my parents took my 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 my, my religion seriously enough that they followed that law. And then he said on his resume, I'm of the stock of Israel. Full-blown, full-grown Hebrew. You know, some folk, I'm, you know my name. 
You know my family heritage. You know my family's history. That's who I am. I want you to understand who I am. That was on his resume. When folk read that, they were impressed with his resume. He says, I'm, I'm of the tribe of, of Benjamin. I'm, I'm a leader. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrew. I ain't just no regular Hebrew. You feel me? I, I ain't no regular. They are some regular Hebrew. I ain't one of them. You look at me, you looking at somebody special. I got some pedigree up in here. I ain't no regular Hebrew. You don't talk to me like you talk to everybody else. I walk in, you stand up. I pass by, you bow down. You got to understand who I am. I'm a Hebrew among Hebrews. I was trained under Gamaliel, the leading rabbi. You understand who I am? He said, concerning the law, I'm a Pharisee. I'm I'm on the fast track. I was on the fast track to to lead the Sanhedrin. I'm a Pharisee. I'm a lawgiver. Paul had been zealous, a zealous keeper of the law. But watch this. He said, yet I'm going to put all that behind me. These tassels on my robe, I'm going to put them behind me. All the accolades I've received from folk, my credentials, I'm going to put them behind. He says, all that talk about who I was. I, I was among the spiritual elitists. I was among the religious who's who. All that talk about me and all that talk about who I, I was, I'm going to put that behind me. All my accomplishments, they have their place. I'm going to put that behind me. Because now I'm going to focus on what God wants to do in my future. You see, Paul refused to be controlled or absorbed by his past heritage or his present attainment. And when we look around Good Hope, we see some pretty impressive stuff. We we see some pretty impressive accomplishments. You know, it's just amazing to me that in the day when numerous congregations all across the country are plateauing or dying, this church is growing. I go to the association meetings and I go to the to the quarterly state board of missions meetings and I sit there and I hear the woes of pastors all over all over the state of Florida talking about how the churches are are, are declining in growth and, and, and how and how people aren't coming and they can't find people to do things in ministry to get the work done. And I sit there and I marvel in my mind because I think about good hope and, and how people jump at the opportunities to serve. Pretty amazing stuff. During a period of economic recession, Good Hope members have continuously have continuously uh, given faithfully. Not one chicken dinner have you sold. 
Not one ham sandwich have you sold. Not one fundraiser have you done. Not one penny of government money have you taken to do ministry. It has come from tithes and offerings. That's pretty remarkable. And I, I know churches, you come to a setting like this, they won't, they won't think of not collecting an offering. But you won't find an offering plate passed around here tonight. If you want to give, you give on Sunday, you give a tithe and offerings. But, but I know places every time the door opens, a Bible study, it's a nickel or a dime. To me, that's pretty remarkable. That your bills are paid and you have excess money and you're not begging every Sunday for money. All year long, ministries have flourished. By the angel tree, you put 85 angels, Dr. and Sister Stevens on the tree, all the angels gone and stuff running over and toys running over and money running over. I go to the meetings and I hear the pastors talking about barely meeting expenses and cutting staff and cutting ministries because they don't have enough money to, to run things. And then all year long, people worship together and pray together and work together to accomplish the mission that God gave to us. Our mission is to know Jesus Christ and to make him known through evangelism, discipleship, and, and missions and outreach. You, you're always outreaching, trying to reach the, the least and the lonely and the lost for Jesus Christ. And we got folk in the church that don't even have a specific title. They don't have no title. They don't... But, but they out there doing ministry. I, I know that. I, I know what they do. You got folk visiting the hospital. Don't have a title to their name. Don't have an official church title. But they're out there doing the work. Doing the work of ministry. Now, I've been here going on 16 years. They have never had to beg anybody to do anything. Matter of fact, more, more important, sometimes I marvel and I'm thinking, man, I need to ask them to just really just kind of take a break sometime. Do you ever stop working? Oh. But like Paul, we can't stop there. Like Paul, we can't rest on past laws. Whether they be individual achievements or congregational attainments, we like Paul must not slack up, back up, or become jacked up right, right. over what we did and how well. Help me, somebody. We've done it. Ah. Oh. To God be the glory for how he's blessed us and used us in 2014. But let's not stop there. Let's not tabernacle there. Let's not pitch our tents there. Let's not settle down there. Let's not waste time or lose time or momentum basking in the afterglow of the past. Rather, let us, as Paul says in verse 14, press towards the goal. For the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 
Let us be wise and careful not to become wrapped around, uh, in, wrapped up in our accolades and trip over our compliments. But stay focused. Keep moving. But secondly, the flip side of Paul's duplicity of forgetfulness has to do with Paul's commitment to forget his personal failures, his heartbreaking situations, and his circumstances and situations for which he was not pleased. That's the flip side of the duplicity. On one side, he has all of these accomplishments, all of these successes. But on the other side, he got some stuff going on that he's not pleased with. For example, he was not pleased with the facts that he want with the facts that he wants a hated Christian. Can you believe that? That he breathed out murderous threats against the church of Jesus Christ. Paul said, I'm not pleased with that. Acts 7.58 tells us that Paul, then named Saul, was a part of the mob that stoned Stephen to death. Stephen was a follower of Jesus and Paul and the mob stoned him to death because he preached that Jesus lived. He died on Calvary's cross to save us from our sins and he got up with all power in his hand on the third day, Sunday morning. Stephen preached. Paul was angry and the mob killed Stephen. The vow, the vindictive, the vicious nature of Paul's past would have been enough to depress him had he dwelt there. Are you following me? All right, all right, all right. Let me go a little bit deeper. His his hideous, his hateful, his hostile past would have been enough to disillusion him from Christian service from ever serving Christ had he dwelt there. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Y'all ain't saying, I don't think you getting this. I don't think you get. Let me go. Let me go a little deep. His cruel, his callous, and his corrupt past would have discouraged him from participating in God's kingdom agenda had he dwelt there. Oh, yeah. I think you see what I'm talking about now. But thanks be to God, he didn't. As a result of forgetting the past, as a result of not letting his messed up past mess him up. Yeah. He wrote more books in the New Testament than anybody else. And oh, thank God he did. Because when I read through Paul's writings, I'm encouraged from his word that says, and we know, help me somebody, that God works all things together for good for those that love the Lord, those who are called according to his purpose. But had he let his past hold him back, 
he never would have gone there. Oh, I'm so glad he forgot about that stuff because I hear him say being confident of this very thing. That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the day of completion, to the day of Jesus Christ. The only reason he was able to do that was because he forgot about his messed up past. Folk brought it up to him, but he said, I forgot about that. Folk tried to hold him to it, but he said, I forgot about that. Folks said, Paul, I remember how you used to be. He said, that's all right. You might remember it, but I forgot about that. I'm serving. Help me, somebody. I'm serving God. Oh, Paul said, Saul, I remember when you were throwing stones at Christians. I remember when you hated the church. Paul said, you write about it. That was then. This is now. He, he said in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone. Behold, all things become new. I used to be messed up, but now I'm all right with God. See ya! Oh, yeah, now we're going somewhere. I'm so glad he didn't let the past hold him back because had the past held him back, he, may, he would not have written Philippians 4.19 that says, My God, my God, my God. Listen, listen, listen. Not the White House. They got a place, but my God. Not Congress. They got a place, but my God. Not my job. It's all right, but my God shall supply. Not might supply. Not maybe supply, but shall supply. Oh, help me somebody. All of my needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Holly, if you hear me, say it. Oh, yeah. Yes, sir. You see, Paul was intentional about putting the past behind. He deliberately decided not to be paralyzed. Y'all ought to hear this now. He made up his mind not to be paralyzed by his faults, his flops, and his flounders. Paul said in verse 13, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. In other words, I'm going to forget that stuff behind in 2014, and now I'm going to reach. Paul reminded the Philippian church, and us, he reminds us through his word tonight that negativity from past mistakes. And we've all made them. Am I right about it? Negativity from past mistakes, from poor decisions and bad choices have a tendency to haunt us, hound us, harass us, and try to hold us back. They pierce us, they pursue us, and they pester us. Am I right about it? They annoy us, they aggravate us, and they antagonize us. Am I right about it? 
But Paul says in the text, here is how you ought to deal with it. Here's how you can put a stop to it. Paul says, just forget about it. Make up in your mind that whatever happened in 2014 will not hinder you from doing what God has called you to do in 2015. Yeah, yeah. John 10, 9 and 10 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That means that whatever you did in 2014, you ought to be man enough. You ought to be woman enough to go to God and say, God, I'm sorry, but I'm going to put that mess behind and I'm going to press on with what you got in store for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 2015 is a brand new year, a year filled with opportunities to serve God. And let this be your year to say yes to God. Whatever God wants to do in you and whatever God wants to do through you, you ought to say yes to God and forget about what happened in the past. Now, as I close, I want to just remind you of some things and some people who forgot about the past. Abram lied to God and Moses was a murderer and Rahab was a prostitute and Saul was a hater and, and uh, Jacob was a deceiver and Samson was a womanizer and Peter denied Jesus and James and John were power brokers and Thomas was a skeptic but yet they put the past behind and God used them in some mighty ways. Can I get a witness here? I like how John Oatman put it all in perspective in a Tim he wrote in 1891 entitled Higher Ground. Mr. Oatman wrote, I'm pressing on. That ought to be our theme song. Whatever the past has been that I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights, new heights, new heights. I'm gaining every day, still praying as I'm upward bound. Lord, plant my feet on solid ground. Lord, lift me up. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table land. A higher plane, a higher plane, a higher plane, a higher plane. That I have found. Lord, plant my feet, plant my feet on higher ground. Say it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 